Good morning, everyone. I'm, I'm dreading tomorrow. I'm dreading tomorrow. The thought that this should come to an end. I've just been sending a message back to our elders in Zambia, uh, just so that they can turn from brown to green. You know, green is the color for envy as they see what is happening here and uh, they are praying for us uh, something that i always treasure in belonging to a team of um, elders well if you have your bible with you uh, please turn to uh, first john and this time we are looking at chapter four uh, this morning, as soon as I finish preaching, I have to disappear. I'm lecturing, uh, you know, with these days of technology, you can't be too far away from your duty. So I'll be missing your first Peter presentation, brother. I'll be busy trying to convince a few students back home in Zambia uh, to be the best students possible. But hopefully we'll see you by lunchtime and have some fellowship with all of you here. We've been making our journey through First John and uh, we began by a quick peek in chapter 5 and verse 13. And there we had the privilege of knowing ahead of time why John wrote this epistle. And we saw that it was primarily to give assurance to those who are trusted in Christ that they in fact possessed eternal life that those who were disturbing them by false teachings were the ones who were in error. In actual fact, those who trusted in Jesus were the ones who were in the truth. That's where we picked from. And then we made our way all the way from chapter 1 and we have been seeing how John has been doing this emphasizing that we who are believers in Jesus are the ones who are in real fellowship with God. It's also dealt with how we can know that we are truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw something about obeying, we saw something about living like Christ and so forth. But in the midst of all that, we saw his warnings um, against godliness, his warnings against false teachers. In fact, that's where we will start from as we enter chapter 4, that aspect of uh, false teachers taking some of our friends away and destabilizing us for a while because of that reality. And yet being assured, if we are truly God's children, we are those that have his anointing, his seed in us that keeps us on the true path. Yesterday, we entered into chapter 3. Oh yeah, thanks. Yesterday we ended into chapter 3 and uh, saw in that chapter this whole issue of uh, the fact that Christianity enables us by its very nature to, to love God and to love one another. And in the loving of God, because it is a vertical relationship, it is proven by our obedience to Him. But notice how we saw at the very beginning of chapter 3 that we are motivated by love itself. 
God has loved us. We are amazed at how much He loves us, and then we are basically loving Him back. It's very different from all other religions on the planet. In all the religions of the planet, they are trying to earn God's love by doing all kinds of good works. For us, it's in the reverse. We have been amazed at what He has done for us, and we say we can only love Him back. So we saw how that works through obedience to Him. We also saw how that works through loving other believers. And we ended yesterday with this aspect of uh, those moments of doubts when our hearts condemn us, perhaps because we have actually sinned against God. And the devil is the very first one to say, you see, you see, you're calling yourself a Christian, but look at this. And it is the one who was tempting us in the first place. But anyway, how do we then get back into that position of buoyancy? And again, we saw that it is as we see the grace of God that's already working in us the Spirit of God and the fruit is producing in us. That genuine repentance that still is ours, even in that moment, that enables us to be able to still go ahead knowing I am the child of God. Well, that's why we ended in those words at the end of chapter 3. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. He's the one who's working all these things in us. Well, as we go to chapter 4, I've entitled my message, uh, Ensure True Doctrine and True Affection. Ensure true doctrine and true affection. Notice there is an and in between. A lot of people think that if you are somebody who is concerned about the word we normally use is orthodoxy, okay, true doctrine, then you are a person who lacks love. On the other hand, true Christianity, they say, is love, love, love. Let's love one another and don't worry about doctrine. Let's just love one another. Well, that's not John's understanding of Christianity. John's understanding of Christianity is that these two go together. And remember, we said that at the very beginning when, we, when I was introducing this, that John says, I write these things to you. And what are these things? And I said, essentially, as you make your way through his letter, you'll find that it is truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. And we see this especially in this chapter. Let's begin then with the aspect of ensuring true doctrine. And the way in which it begins is one of those statements that's fairly rare in uh, this book. And it is with an imperative. 
with an imperative. He begins on a negative and then goes into the positive. He says, the beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And in case you are thinking that it is some kind of litmus paper test that sort of you wave in the air to see what spirit is in this room, that's not what he has in mind. He's talking about teachings. And look at the way he puts it here. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So that's what he's really talking about. That we are never completely safe that we let down our guards, we will always be surrounded by individuals that have been taught by the devil and they are selling their teachings all around. How do we test the spirits? How do we confirm what we are dealing with here? Well, that's what it goes on to quickly deal with. And notice, it is a doctrinal test. A doctrinal test. He says there, by this we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So that's the test. I remember what we said earlier on, that there was a, a common heresy that was doing its rounds, not just outside the church, but was infiltrating the church as well. And we gave it its historic name, Gnostic Heresy, you remember with that G at the beginning? And there were individuals that were separating the divinity of Christ from the man, Christ Jesus. And so, this spirit who is the word basically sort of just came onto this man, this ordinary man, Jesus, enabling him to do all those miraculous things that he did, to teach those wonderful things that he taught, and so on. But before he could die, he was abandoned. So the one who died was an ordinary man. What we are reading here is that, in fact, God the Son came in human flesh. Everyone that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In other words, there must be orthodoxy or true doctrine concerning the person and work of Christ. Get that wrong, you cannot be a child of God. Individuals that teach heresy concerning the personal work of Christ are not teachers from God. They are teachers from Satan. And you need to be able to ensure that you do not follow them. So that's really the 
the teaching that we have there. I was uh, watching yesterday uh, the presentation from ACFA and I noticed that that's basically something that they are seeking to do all the time to enable the Christian church to, to, to smell heresy in swamps and therefore avoid following after. Now that's not being unloving. That's being Christian. It's being Christian because you are caring for the eternal welfare of souls. Thankfully, he says that those of us who are believers will be able to see the truth. Why? Again, that anointing he spoke about earlier, the Spirit of God who is in us, he enables us in the midst of the confusion to discern the truth about Jesus and serious errors concerning Christ. Look at the way he puts it here in verse 4 downwards. Little children, you are from God. And you have overcome them. Why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, don't be surprised at this key junction in your Christian life where individuals that perhaps were in your ranks have, have gone veered off to the left and gone following after false teachers who seem to have a major following after them. And then they are saying, how? How can somebody believe such a lie? How? Well, the reason why you are surprised is because the Spirit of God who is in you is enabling you to see through all that. And for you, the truths that are in God's Word are your anchor in the midst of all the false teaching that surrounds you. Don't be surprised that for you, you turn right. And even if all your friends are going up the direction, you turn right. And you say, if, if, if I'm going to be the only one, I'm going to continue this way. Because that's where the truth is. In the early years of the Christian church, there the, the were a number of uh, major uh, doctrinal battles. One of them was around the Trinity and the other was around the person and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the, the, the greatest champions for the truth then was a gentleman called Athanasius. And on one occasion, being in a council where there was a lot of heat and debate, he was told in no uncertain terms, Athanasius, the, world, the whole world is opposed to you. And this is the answer. He said, in that case, 
Athanasius is opposed to the world. Doesn't matter. This is what the Bible teaches. Even if everybody goes in the way of error and heresy, I am going to stand by the word. And thankfully, we have since followed in his footsteps. Okay, so that's the first. And friends, one of the, 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 the weaknesses of Christianity today and especially in the context of Africa, is that we don't want to 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 be seen to to be differing with people of uh, almost anything doctrine thrown in there as well. There's this way in which we, we fear that we we will be seen as being divisive, and because of that. We are quiet when we need to be able to see. When blatant heresy is being peddled right in front of our noses, we keep quiet. As though the souls of people are not at stake. And it's because we think we'll be considered as being unloving. Now, yes, if we are picking on almost any little thing and we are already trying to bring the entire structure of the building over people's heads, yes, that may be a sign of lack of love for people. But where is blood and heresy? Where people are calling themselves as being God, being throwing themselves within the context of the Godhead, and we are quiet, we should be able to say no. To believe that sends you to hell, and I'm saying it because I love you, because I love you. Well, let's hurry on. There is the second part, and it is this aspect of true affection. So, ensure true doctrine and ensure true affection. John has already dealt with this. He's dealt with it in chapter 3, verse 11, downwards to the end of that chapter. But he's back on it. And you can see why he's called the apostle of love. The apostle of love. And he argues for the fact that love is an essential ingredient of Christianity. Remember what we said yesterday, the two greatest commandments. We know them by now, isn't it? Love God and love your neighbor. Christianity is remedial. It fixes that chronic selfishness that sin has produced in us. It brings us back to being like God, being a loving people. And this is where we are coming back to. You can't miss it. He goes right back to the subject with God's blessing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Period. 
There's no gray area there. If you are still a warped, little, selfish soul who's always just thinking about yourself and what you will get out of this friend, seek salvation in Christ. You're not yet saved. That's Christianity 101. We, we are not talking about master's degree or anything. 101. It's introductory stuff. Love is essential. Why? When he tells us, because God is love. If he has given you his spirit, the spirit of God, then obviously the spirit of God will be radiating love out of him. And that's what he goes on to tell us. He says, okay, let's, let's look at God for a few minutes. Let's see what God did. Let, let, let's see. And we can't miss that this was very, very laughing. Very quickly, at uh, verse 9 down to verse 12. And the thing I wanted to notice is that as soon as he finishes surveying what God's life is, a life of love, he quickly comes to the implication on us. Look at this. Verse 9 downwards. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we who were dead might live through him. Again, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And what has he done? He has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to be the one to do something, to take away the wrath of God, to placate God's wrath because of our sins. And then here's the implication. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You can't miss the argument. You can't miss the argument. You know, as human beings, our likeness to our parents is, is largely outward. I've never forgotten many years ago when I became a pastor and married and we had our first child. We were living not on the church premises but within the community. That was before we put up our church premises. And a friend came looking for my home all the way from another town. He came into town and he was passing by the road and he saw my son, our eldest son, by that time he was our only child, playing by the street. That's where our home meets the main road. And uh, <laughs> I just took one look and I said to myself, have arrived. <laughs> so that's how the came in, knocked on the door, and I was shocked to find the day. You know, how did you know? He said, that boy there. A spitting image of his father. 
with respect to God being our Father, it's not physical. It's not. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. How, how do I know you are a child of God? It is, it's not outward. It's inward. God is love. And what am I seeing in you? A person who is truly loving. And therefore I'm saying, here is somebody that God has transformed. Here is somebody in whom God dwells. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that uh, often the people that don't love are the people who complain about lack of loving. And maybe so often, when a person has had, perhaps it's a funeral, and you know, hardly any church members showed up, they come and they're complaining, you know, there's really no love in this church, and so on and so forth. And uh, I say, okay, hang on. Let's just look at the last few events that happened in the church, and see whether you were there for other believers. So and so was seeking hospital, you visit. Well, no. So and so had a funeral. Did you go to comfort? Uh, well, not quite. Well, so and so had these difficulties. Perhaps the French difficulties. Did you help? Well, I was rather busy. I got to know about it later. Well, and it's excuse after excuse after excuse. The truth is that that connection is not there with the people of God. There is really no love emanating from you. Well, I never quite put it that way in terms of what I'm about to say. But ultimately, you are a little warped, selfish soul that simply wants other people to be the ones ministering into your life. That ain't gonna happen. It is that we love one another not simply receiving love from others. Why? Because look at God. It was not a convenience to him. He gave his only son. He sent his only son to be the redeemer of the world. And the price his son paid was the cry that we all remember. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For sinners. For rebellious ones going to hell. I've set my love upon them. I want them to come into my heaven. That's why I have forsaken my only son. What a sacrifice. And he's saying, friends, if this is how God loved us, we must not hold back our love for one another. This abiding in God must manifest itself this way. What he goes on to do is open up this abiding in God again. Now, he's already dealt with it. We saw it in chapter 2. Let's return back there. Chapter 2, uh, he, he put it this way in uh, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
If what you heard in the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Father and in the Son. He goes on to say in verse 27, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you, as anointing teaches you everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And now little children, abide in Him. So this abiding issue is something he's been dealing with. Uh, we were learning about barbecuing uh, earlier in, in, in the week. And one of the things that I admire about people who really know what it means to produce a good roast, roasted meat from the barbecue, is that the day before, they get that meat out. And they put the spices on that meat. And they allow it to marinate. Mm -hmm. The spices enter into the meat overnight. <laughs> 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 you understand what happens the next day? Yeah. Uh, have you been there? Yeah. Uh, you've, you, you've never been to such events. You have to 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 implore the spirit's fruit of self-control to stop eating <laughs> marinating marinating well the christian life is very much like that it's not a hit and run situation it is this ongoing fellowship with god it's literally a marinating you are abiding in him, and therefore the graces, the virtues of God are working out on your soul. And that's how we see this ongoing change, ongoing change in your life. Well, John comes back to it. And he says, if we love one another, God abides in us. The spice of God is marinating in our soul. And then he opens that up for us in verse 13, going downwards. And he's bringing out this aspect of abiding, abiding, abiding. And I'll just read it to you and then explain from verse 12, 13 rather, down to verse 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So it's his spirit who is within us and he is regularly radiating those divine virtues through us. 
And what are they about? Verse 14 downwards. And you notice it is about Jesus Christ. His gospel at work within us. The truth of his gospel. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's not simply that the Son of God came and dwelt on him for a short period. He is the Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Basically the point that is being made there is fairly straightforward. Again, we have dealt with it already in chapter 2. This ongoing marinating with the truths of God, the gospel of God, the spirit of God is dwelling within us in an ongoing way and changing us day by day. And one of the reasons why this is crucial is a topic we learned earlier on about church. Why church? You know, when you are going to a church where all you are being told about is, is how to prosper, how to be successful, how to, to be the, the victor, how to be a champion, how... But before long, your soul is furnished. It's filthy. It's empty. You are thinking the world, the world is always thinking. But when you are in a church where God's truth is faithfully expounded in its priorities, in its own emphasis, faithfully, regularly, and you can't miss the fact that the central truth is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When these truths are being taught you regularly, your soul is being, again to borrow that phrase, marinated with His truths. What's growing in your own soul is something like this. If this is how God has loved me, I must love others too. Your soul blossoms. Blossoms. And you want to spend and be spent for God and for others. So belong to a church where the pulpit is taken seriously. Where you are really learning the word of God 
especially while you are still young. You are laying a solid foundation for your future as an individual, for your home and marriage, for the way in which you raise your own kids, for the way in which you will impact the world out there, for the very day when you'll be on your deathbed. The kind of confidence that will be in your soul, knowing that I am going home. Do it now rather than in your old age. Make sure you are in a good church where you are being marinated with these truths. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. And then he comes back to the subject of love. Did we really? But he's telling us how it is produced by this doctrinal understanding that is continuous you, you are abiding under this truth and it's producing love in you well let's quickly hurry on because he's now back again into this aspect of love whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him I love that little phrase, and God is love. So second time it's mentioned it. Earlier on in verse 8, he had mentioned it as well, because God is love. I hope you are convinced that the greatest commandment is about love. That the second greatest commandment is about love. And that if God has saved you, your life is about love. Loving others. Loving others. This last part is now dealing with the aspect of growing in that love. And it uses the word this love being perfected. This love being perfected. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because, and this is the way this love is being perfected, as he is, so also are we in this world. Okay, in other words, it's, it's, it's really the love to live young. I'm reminded of the story of a, of a Sunday school class when uh, there was a visiting teacher or preacher who was asked to take the, the Sunday school class. And as he was teaching the class about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the kids raised up their hands. And you know, I love the way in which kids raise their hands in the middle of the class. And you want to say now, you know, can we overlook that for a moment? I'm, I'm in mid-flight. But you know, the kids' hands is up. So yes. And the kids say, teacher, I know where Jesus lives. And of course the teacher thought he would say, hey baby. So he said, how well does he live? And the kids say, he lives down my street. <laughs> so at the end of the class, the preacher went to ask this little kid, and as the kid began to describe this person, it was a life of love 
But this little kid had not received his mind. And so as the teacher describing Jesus of Nazareth, helping people in his life on earth, that little kid thought, aha, he must be describing that mind darkness. You know kids, eh? it's very quick, one plus one is two. They don't communicate matter. <laughs> But really, that's the way in which our lives want to be. Christ's spirit is now in us. So one of the ways in which we grow is we grow in Christ-likeness. And it should be emanating through a life of love for others. And what it does for us is it gives us a greater sense of confidence. Not only confidence with God in terms of as we pray and relate to Him, but also confidence as we visualize that there's a day that is coming when I will have to stand before Him. And there's no fear. There's no fear. Why? It's not because I've outweighed my bad deeds with my good ones. But it's because his spirit working in me is simply loving others through me. Look at this. Verse 18. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with judgment punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So it's not about I'm loving so that on the judgment day, my good works might outweigh the bad ones. No. It's that his love has so overwhelmed me, I want to love others too. We love because he first loved us. And we are peace. We are peace. At the thought that we might die, we are peace. We know there's such a love that God has for us. It's been flowing into us and flowing out of us to others. We know He loves us. I hope that's true. I hope that's true. Joy ends this section still about love. But he ends by making an all-important point. And it is that first and second commandment being joined together. The greatest and the second greatest being joined together. So as I speaking about love, yes, we love God. But we also love our brothers. It's a hypocrite who claims that I love God. And then there's no evidence of loving the people next to you. That's the way it ends. Let's read that. 
verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. For as he had said in chapter 3 and verse 17, but if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's obvious. When was the last time God didn't have money to pay his school fees? When was the last time? He always has money to pay school fees because he is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When was the last time God had shoes that were so finished that when he's walking the shoes are spitting dust. You understand what I mean? The, the top and bottom are even separated. When? He doesn't need any shoes. God is spirit. What I'm saying is this. So love is seen in the real world in the needs that are there in front of you. That's what true love is. True love is seen when your brother is sick, your sister is unwell, when they are desperately in need and they do not know where to go, and you are aware of those needs. That's what true love is. That's why I entitled my message, Ensure true doctrine and true affection true affection not simply say hey, we love one another we love one another amen hallelujah ah, ah. <laughs> is it real are you genuinely loving are you sacrificing for others not because in doing so you will get to heaven, but because God has loved you so much, your heart cannot help it. The spirit in you drives you to death. If that's you, you're a Christian. The Lord has sent you. You have a genuine article. You are the real thing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this call that comes to us to ensure the root of Christianity is firmly embedded in us through doctrine. And also that the fruit of Christianity is genuinely emanating out of our lives. 
through affection. Oh Lord, help each one of us to examine our Christianity based on this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.